Good morning, Lighthouse. Man, am I glad you are here today. And uh, I believe that the Lord has some things that he wants to say to us. And it's exciting to me. I, I had an opportunity to um, talk with some of you and a number of you who, who were really talking about, man, I'm excited about this series as well. And uh, I, I'm, looking I'm looking forward to taking the deep dive into the book of Acts and, and really kind of chewing on it and seeing what it means. But in saying this, in knowing that we're going to be kind of doing this deep dive into the book of Acts, I know sometimes that gets stressful in our brains and sometimes you can kind of feel like this kid right here. All right? I don't know if you can read it right now. Uh, but he says, Mr. Osborne, may I be excused, excused? My brain is full. And I know for me, sometimes when I'm diving into the Bible, that's exactly how I feel. Okay? If I can get Rick, I cannot see my slides on that back screen. Okay? Thanks. But anyway, um, some of us, that's what it feels like, diving in and getting into the language and finding out all that background stuff. We can only chew a little bit of it at a time. And that's okay. That's okay. Because I would rather savor the meal than hustle through it. Okay? And that's what we want to do here with the book of Acts. Now, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity and the privilege to go to Israel with a group of people from here at Lighthouse. And uh, we had an incredible time. We, we crossed an ocean. We traversed that small country that actually has so much impact on our uh, faith, on our beliefs. And we, we spent so much time traveling through that country, going from Galilee to changing. I guarantee it, okay? And I'm praying for you. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will prevail upon you to help you understand the power that you have access to, to live that life that is different. Because I believe that you were created on purpose for a purpose. And I really do believe that a significant goal, a significant outcome of this series in Acts is that the Jesus followers at Lighthouse Community Church will consistently live a life in power that makes a difference because we are accessing that power that God offers to us that so many of us don't seize and grab. And so today we take the next step on that journey. And that next step actually isn't forward, but backwards. So let's pray. Father, in the next few minutes, as we just kind of talk through your word, I pray, God, that you would speak into our hearts. You would challenge us today. Lord, I pray that, that we would grab onto your word and we would wrestle with what you have for us today. I pray that we would not leave this place unaffected or unchanged, but God, we would access the power that you have for us to live life differently. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you were here last week, let me start off with, if you weren't here last week, okay? If you weren't here last week, then I would highly encourage you to go to our website, mylcc.church, and access the, the, the message from last week. 
sets the tone for the whole series of Acts. I would highly encourage that. Now, if you were here last week, then you remember that we talked about Luke, okay? We talked about Dr. Luke, and, and the fact that Luke was a contemporary of the Apostle Paul. In fact, uh, he was part of Paul's entourage as Paul went throughout kind of the, the Mediterranean loop and all the way to Rome. In fact, Paul writes about him in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. He writes, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. He writes in Philemon, verse 24, he writes, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Which, just on a side note, how awesome is that name, Aristarchus? Okay, I will give $100 to any young couple that names their child Aristarchus, okay? That's just a cool name. There you go right there, all right, all right? But getting back to the reality of the message here, okay, we see that the apostle, that, that Luke, Dr. Luke, was a companion of Paul. He was, part, he was part of that entourage that traveled around with Paul. And we also know that we talked about last week that even though Luke does not name himself as the writer of Acts, there are several historical references that start in about the year 200 or maybe even earlier that list Luke as the writer of Acts, okay? And there's, to be honest with you, there is very little debate historically through scholars that, that Luke is actually the writer of this uh, book called Acts. And uh, a lot of people, what a lot of people don't understand, and I literally, I, I said this last week, that Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts were meant to be read together. They were meant to be read together. In fact, a lot of scholars refer to them simply as Luke Acts. Luke Acts. And they are, they are two volumes of the same book. Now, now here's, I, I kind of think of it this way. I own several books, probably almost all of the books of the world-renowned writer Bill Watterson. Okay, Bill Watterson. And, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with the author Bill Watterson, uh, but I have almost all of his seminal works of Calvin and Hobbes. Okay. Uh, I, I love Calvin and Hobbes. I love Bill Watterson. I love his sense of humor. Okay, and 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 I have all these. Now, here's the beautiful thing about Calvin and Hobbes. Here's the beautiful thing about Bill Watterson. There's not a particular order in which you have to read his books. Okay, I, I don't, you know, jump from the days are just packed to homicidal cycle cycle jungle cat jung, you know, whatever to lazy Sundays and then. No, I can read them in any order I want to. But that's not how it is for Luke and Acts. You have to read Luke and Acts in order. Think of it this way. Acts is the sequel to Luke. Acts is the sequel to Luke. And the interesting thing is, and, and, and there are some scholars who believe that Luke actually wrote Luke and Acts as, as a report, or as, as Luke even says himself, an account. He writes this account, and why is he writing it? Some scholars believe that Luke wrote these accounts of Luke and Acts for the Apostle Paul's lawyer who is going to represent him before Caesar. 
Is that true? I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that it lends some credibility to the incredible amount of detail that we find in both Luke and Acts. Which brings me to this point. There were a couple things that I shared with you last week that are important for us to remember. The first one is this. To read Luke without reading Acts gives one an incomplete picture of the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. To only read Luke and not follow through and read Acts, you get an incomplete picture. I talked about it last week. How when you get to Luke 24, Jesus rises again, he has some words to say, and then he vanishes. And, and you're left going, is that it? Is that all? That's, that's the, that, no, that's not all. Because that's why Luke wrote Acts. It's the follow-up, it's the sequel, it's the ending, or it's the, begin, the ending of the beginning, okay? And also, to read Acts without reading Luke gives one no context to the explosion of God's work through the Holy Spirit and the church that started out after Jesus died and rose again and gave his disciples specific instructions of what to do now, okay? And so if you only read Acts, you're reading it completely out of context. You have to read Luke in order to understand. Now, I had, I had coffee with somebody this week, and, um, and this person was sharing with me that, that he began to read Luke, and all of a sudden began to make the connections in Acts. As he's reading Luke, he's making the connections to Acts. Oh, that's what that means. Oh, that's what that means, okay? It reminded me of when, when uh, I do premarital counseling, okay? Justin and Jordan right over there, we're doing premarital counseling, and you guys are getting married in a couple weeks, is that right? Very cool, excited for you guys, and, and uh, Bobby and Brooke sitting right up here, they're getting married next year, which is really cool, and I'll do premarital counseling with them. And, and what I tell almost every couple when I do premarital counseling with them, I go through a particular book, and it's got a workbook with it and stuff, and I tell them, I tell them, and I think I've told Jordan and Justin this, okay, I tell them, you know what would be really good is if you read this book six months to a year after you're married, because you're going to read it in six months to a year after you're married, and you're going to go, oh, that's what that means. Oh, I get it now. This totally makes sense now. I didn't understand it when we were just engaged. But now that we're married, this, this whole thing about how to argue with each makes so much more sense now. Well, that's what happens when you read Luke and then read Acts. You begin to read both of them. Oh, that's what Jesus meant. When Jesus told the disciples, I have to die so the Holy Spirit can come. And then in Acts, boom, the Holy Spirit comes down. You go, that's what he meant when he was talking to the disciples in Luke. And woo, the Holy Spirit comes in the beginning of Acts. Okay, now I get it. All right? You cannot read Acts without reading Luke because you have no context. Uh, the book of the, the book, and, and listen, we call it a book. We'll call it a book. Luke calls it an account, an accounting. We're just, for simplicity's sake, it wasn't written as a book, okay? But we're going to call it a book because that's how it is in our Bible. But the book of Acts 
gives us, or excuse me, the book of Luke gives us the biography of Jesus. The book of Luke gives us the biography of Jesus. What does this mean? What does this say? In Luke chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Luke wrote this, So it seemed good to me as well, because I have followed all things carefully from the beginning, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Okay, now just taking a second, I have followed all things carefully. Luke is a doctor. He's very detail-oriented. That's why these accounts are so long, is because he is taking into account the details carefully from the beginning to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know for certain the things you were taught. That's what he says in the beginning of Luke. And then in the beginning of Acts, he says this. He says, I wrote the former account, Theophilus, referring back to Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. All that Jesus, so that's what he's saying. What I wrote back in Luke, when he's writing in Acts, starting this new, this, the, the second volume, he's saying all of that stuff is all about Jesus. And it's leading up to what I'm going to tell you, what I'm going to write right now. Do and teach until he was taken into heaven. Where does Luke end? Where does Luke 24 end? If you flip to Luke 24, you're going to see, and we're going to refer to this in just a moment, but Jesus sends some, says some words, and then it ends with Jesus ascending into heaven. Luke is referring to that right here. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. Everything that takes place in the book of Acts is a result of, is a result of, and a furthering of what Jesus did in Luke. Luke helps us to see where the church came from and what the church's mission is. That's what Luke is all about. And that's what Acts is going to keep kind of uh, referring to Luke is the foreshadowing of Acts for those of you who are English majors okay Luke is the foreshadowing of what occurs in Acts the church receives its mission from what Jesus said and did in Luke and what did Jesus say his mission was well Luke wrote it down Jesus said for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost that's why Jesus came that's what Jesus' mission was. That's why he came here to earth. God took on the form of man. As John, one of Jesus' other apostles said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling, made his home with us. He left the confines of heaven and came to earth. Why? To seek and to save the lost. That was the entirety of Jesus' mission he came here to redeem you and me why because i say it so often and i don't want you to miss this if you don't hear anything else i say this morning hear this god loves you god loves you so much so that jesus would leave heaven god take on flesh to seek 
and to save the lost. And then Jesus passed this mission on to his disciples and ultimately to you and me. Luke chapter 24 says this, Jesus told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. I love this stuff right here, okay? This gets me so excited. Because what Jesus said in Luke 24 found its fulfillment in Acts. On the day of Pentecost, which we're going to talk about later. And I'm going to define that term Pentecost in a few weeks for you, okay? But at Pentecost, if you remember, if you go into Acts in the beginning, chapter 2, you will find that the, the disciples are meeting together in the upper room. And, and they're scared, they're frightened, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up. And they go running outside, and they begin to speak. And the people, which it says literally in Acts, there are people from pretty much every nation on the earth are there in Jerusalem, in where? Jerusalem, for Pentecost. And the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all, to all nations beginning. It happened. But in, in chapter 24 of Luke, the disciples are going, what are you talking about? And Jesus goes on. He says, you are witnesses of these things. If you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus, he says, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you, send to you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay in what city? Which city do you think? Just holler it out. Jerusalem. You're right. Jerusalem. Until you have been clothed with power from on high. What happens in the beginning of Acts? The Holy Spirit comes in power. Jesus, in the end of Luke, is preparing them for what is going to happen in the beginning of Acts. All of this, the disciples had no idea what was going on. No concept, no clue. That's why we need Acts. To find the truth of what happens here with Jesus. And here's the interesting thing, that what we just read were Jesus' final words to his disciples in Luke 24. That was it. Those were his final words. Isn't it interesting that in Acts chapter 1, Jesus picks up, or the story picks up right where it left off in Luke chapter 24. It's not surprising. It's not shocking. It's how Luke wrote the story. It's how, excuse me, not wrote the story. It's how Luke recorded history in that moment. Okay? Now, as we kind of wrap up our time this morning, and I know when I say as we wrap up our time this morning, you all get, start getting giddy because you're thinking, wow, we're really going to beat the Baptist to lunch. Okay, I got, I'm about halfway through. Okay? So I want you to remember three things. I want you to walk out with three thoughts. Okay? Uh, I want you, uh, there are three things I want to leave with you. First is a reminder, second is a question, and third is a challenge. 
First is a reminder, second is a question, third is a challenge. The first thing is this. The first thing is the reminder, and it's a reminder from last week, and it's something that everything that we as Jesus followers, everything about us hinges on this, and I said it last week, everything, and I mean everything, say everything, everything. say a little louder, say everything. everything, everything, and I mean everything rises and falls on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For us as followers of Jesus, if that didn't happen, then as Paul talked about, we are the most miserable people. We're doing all that we're doing really for nothing. Okay? Everything, and I mean everything, rises and falls on the death and resurrection of Jesus. I need you to remember that. I need you to remember that. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, whether you're sitting here with us or you're with us online, joining us online, if you just, if you just thought about Jesus in any other way, for those of us who are Jesus followers, we're wasting our time. Which leads me to this, this idea, okay? Because Jesus kind of, I, I want to leave you secondly with a question. I want to leave you with a question. It's not a question that I posed. It's actually a question that Jesus himself posed to his own disciples. And we find it in Luke chapter 9. And in Luke chapter 9, we find that Jesus is kind of becoming this rising rock star of a rabbi. That people are beginning to clamor to him. Thousands upon thousands of people are coming to hear him speak. They're following. They're coming from all over the place to be around this rabbi named Jesus. He is officially approaching rock star status. And, and he's feeding thousands of people. He's healing people. He's driving out demons. Okay. And at, the, at this point in time, Jesus gets off by himself and he's praying. Jesus gets alone and he's praying. And he's got his disciples around him. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, who do the people say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? And, and, and you've got to kind of picture, they're in this quiet moment. I imagine that they're in some place uh, that's, uh, you know, where they can have solitude away from the thousands of people. Maybe even evening time or early morning when people are, are resting or just getting up. And Jesus has been spending time praying. And he asked that question. Who do people say that I am? Which is an interesting question. And his disciples begin to respond, well, some people think you're, the, you're John the Baptist. Other people think you're Elijah. Other people think that you're one of the other prophets from old. And I imagine Jesus just sits there, looks at him. And then he lowers the boom. And he says this. But what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? That's a tough question. Peter, of course, who's my favorite, simply just blurts out, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. 
And I do believe that Peter mostly believed that at this point in time. But I really do believe that this is a fair question for all of us. It's the question that you and I have to ask ourselves. That you must ask yourself this simple question. Who do you say Jesus is? You. Not Peter. Not me. Not Michael. Not Elaine. Not Went. You. Who do you say Jesus is? Because, my friends, the answer to that question will determine how you act in your life. The answer to that question, who do you say Jesus is, dictates your decisions. It dictates your life, and it dictates your eternity. That question right there. Who do you say Jesus is? And when it comes to this question, there really are about four or five different answers. Jesus is either a legend, he's a lunatic, he's a liar, or he is Lord. Now we can kind of we can kind of go away from the first two answers, okay? Uh, that Jesus, there's way too much historically written, not only about Jesus but about his followers. There are way too many historians from from early, early, like you know, in the in the hundreds, two hundreds, who are writing about the followers of Jesus. He's not a legend. He was real. All you have to do is do a little bit of research. He's not a lunatic. Way too many psychologists have done research on Jesus. They've read about Jesus' life to come to the point to understand that no, no, Jesus wasn't a lunatic. Lunatic. He was completely sane. Okay. In fact, Christian philosopher Peter Kreeft, he wrote this. He wrote, a measure of your insanity is the size of the gap between what you think you are and what you really are. If I think I'm the greatest philosopher in America, I'm only an arrogant fool. If I think I'm Napoleon, I'm probably over the edge. If I think I'm a butterfly, I am fully embarked from the sunny shores of sanity. But... If I think I am God, I am even more insane because the gap between anything finite and the infinite God is even greater than any gap between any two finite things, even a man and a butterfly. Well then, why not liar or lunatic? But almost no one who has read the Gospels can honestly and seriously consider that an option. The savviness, the canniness, the human wisdom, the attractiveness of Jesus emerged from the Gospels with an unavoidable force to any but the most hardened and prejudiced reader. Okay? Legend, lunatic, they're not viable. So that leaves us with two other things. Liar and Lord. Liar and Lord. And yet, if we take that side of thinking of Jesus as a liar... You know, really, it, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't help. We can't kind of put it... Because Jesus still did all of those miraculous healings. Jesus still fed thousands of people. Jesus still raised a dead person back to life. Jesus still did all of those different things. But in this scenario, Jesus 
Jesus says he was God, but he wasn't God. He was a liar. But you have to ask yourself, why would any sane person do that? Why would any sane person claim, and, and we know that he was sane, why would he claim to be God when he's not? Which would also make Jesus a hypocrite. Because Jesus is the one who told people to turn the other cheek. Jesus is the one who told people to live a life of honesty and integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else comes from the evil one. And here he is lying about being God. He's a hypocrite. Right? And ultimately, Jesus would go to his death. A horrific death. Making this claim to be God. Which raises a great question for us. Why die for a lie? Why die for a lie? I mean, if Jesus claimed to be God, and he knew that he was lying, that he really wasn't God, why die for that? And the same is true for the, the disciples. Every single disciple, with the exception of John, died. And most of them, horrific deaths. If Jesus wasn't really God, and Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be, and if the disciples knew that, why die for a lie? Why would Jesus claim to be God and know that he's not and end up dying a horrific death on the cross? Legend, lunatic, liar, there is one more. And C.S. Lewis kind of wraps this into to the conversation from the book Mere Christianity. When he talks about this, and he, and he talks about one more thing of people who say that, you know what, I believe that Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a moral man. He was a moral teacher. And this is what C.S. Lewis says. Jesus told people that their sins were forgiven. This makes sense only if he was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great and moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. So we come back. Legend lunatic liar great moral teacher or lord and my friends only you can answer that question because here's the thing in all honesty it doesn't matter who jesus said he is in your life in your life personally it doesn't matter who jesus said he is when it comes down to it what really matters is who you say Jesus is. So the question remains, who do you say Jesus is? 
Because the answer to that question defines how I live my life. And if I'm not living my life according to the answer that I'm giving, then maybe I'm the lunatic and the liar who one day will merely be a legend. So we've talked about remembering that everything, and I mean everything, rises and falls on the death and resurrection of Jesus. The question, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? And the third thing, and the third thing that I just want to take a moment to talk about is this. It's very simple. All of this is meant to be discussed. It's not meant to be put in a lock box, okay? It's meant to be discussed. Think of it this way. Think of like Thanksgiving. Think of Thanksgiving, which is coming up quick, right? And you sit down and you have this incredibly fabulous meal. This awesome meal. You're sitting there and you're sitting with your family. And, and I love to think about my family back in the day because we would sit around the table and the adults would be laughing and they'd be talking. And as you're sitting there, say you're done with the meal, food's still on the table. What do you do? As you're talking, you're like, what do you do? I, I know I do. I kind of pick at the food. You ever do that? Kind of just reach over maybe and with your dirty, grimy fingers, you just pull a piece of meat off the carcass. That just sounds gross. You pull a piece of turkey off, right? And you, you, you kind of nibble on it as you're talking and you're laughing. Maybe you take your fork and you jab a, a, uh, a tomato in the salad. And you just put it around. Maybe you reach over, grab the spoon, and put just a little bit more of the mashed potatoes on your plate. Or if you're like me, you just grab one more piece of pie, okay? Nobody serves cake at Thanksgiving. Nobody. We serve pie. But anyway, that's a side note, okay? You get them in, you know, we're sitting there, what do we do? While we're talking, while we're laughing, while we're discussing, we're reaching out and we're grabbing and we're savoring that meal, we're continuing. Well, that's what this is meant, what we are meant to do as followers of Jesus in order to understand the word of God, in order to understand God and, 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 and who he is, to answer that question clearly. We have got to pick at God's word. And my friends... That is why it is more important for us to talk about the scriptures than to just merely read them and listen to a sermon that some yokel comes up on stage and talks about. You have got to pick the meat off the bone. That's what the Talmudim did. Are you, are you familiar with that word, Talmudim? That actually, the word Talmudim is actually the Hebrew word the plural Hebrew word for disciples, that a rabbi would gather his Talmudim together. And the Talmudim, those disciples, they would take God's word and they would sit down together as a group without the rabbi. And they would talk about it. And they'd argue about it. And they'd pick at the meat on the bone of the scriptures. And they would argue with each other trying to come to an idea of what that scripture meant dissecting the Greek and the Hebrew, okay? And they would argue, and then the, the, the rabbi would come in, and he might say something like, what are you guys arguing about? And they'd tell him, and then he'd join in and begin to lay out the truth of what they're talking about. My friends, I have benefited over the last six months of being with four or five people and picking the meat on the bone of Acts. We have discussed. 
we have chewed, we have savored, we have even debated each other on the book of Acts. And that, my friends, is how you begin to grow in your understanding of Scripture. That you don't just spend five minutes in your devotions in the morning so you can check the box and say, I was with God. Or, or you know, you, you listen to a message and leave here and feel better about yourself that you were with God. Because that's not how relationships work. I, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Would my relationship with Sean, my most important relationship in this world, would my relationship with Sean survive on the amount of time that I spend with God each day? Would it? We've got to dig in. We gotta chew the meat off the bone. We gotta, we gotta savor it and chew it and talk about it and discuss it and dive into, into commentaries and dive into the, the meaning of words. And there's so many resources for that. In fact, we're gonna start putting resources on our website connected to the messages. But there's so many free resources. Blue Letter Bible is one of them online. You, they have commentaries for free. They have, they have uh, dictionaries that you can jump into to learn. But my friends, you and I will never access the power that God has for us if we don't know the promises he's made. If we don't know who God is. If we don't know the context of his word then we will continue to live frustrated, shallow, indifferent lives. And one day, we'll end up being a legend. And not in a good way. That guy, you remember that guy who used to teach at Lighthouse? What was his name again? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I want to matter. I want to make a difference. I want you to make a difference. And the only way we do that is by accessing the power of God. And that's what Luke told us. So, in wrapping up, you and I have to remember this. Everything, and I mean everything. Everybody say everything. Everything, everything and I mean everything, rises and falls on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second thing we learned today is who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Because your eternity rests on the answer to that question. And then third, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do? Are you going to leave here and just go, ah, well, that was 35 minutes. Okay, that was an hour. Or are you going to look at it and go, I need to know more in order to have that power, in order to be that person. I've got to be connected with God. What are you going to do now? So, stand up with me. The band's going to come up here, and we're going we're gonna to sing, Yes, I Will, appropriately, okay? But I have three questions, three questions for you to kind of ponder this week that go along with the message. The first one is, who is Jesus to you? And I encourage you, write these down, take a picture of the screen so that you'll, you'll be able to remember them as you discuss them with each other this week. Who is Jesus to you? And be honest. If you look at it and go, I don't know who Jesus is to me, then be honest and say that. If Jesus is Lord, then say Jesus is Lord. But who is Jesus to you? Second question, what are you doing with this information? What are you doing with it? Are you discussing it? Are you talking about it? Are you chewing the meat off the bone? 
Or are you just content with eating cotton candy and thinking that you are really, truly a deep follower of Christ? What are you doing with the information? And then third, what steps will you take to sharpen your faith? What steps are you going to take to sharpen your faith? As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's why we discuss with each other. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, that we can know you and we can access this power that you have given for us to live the life that you created us for, on purpose and for a purpose. God, I pray that in the coming weeks we will be able to see, Jesus, what you were doing in Luke that became fulfilled in Acts and continues on to this very day. And I pray that we would be the powerful bride of Christ, the powerful church that you envisioned in the beginning of Acts, in the beginning of time. Thank you, God. I pray that our answer to all of this will be, yes, I will. And it's in the name of Jesus, in the power of you, Holy Spirit, for your glory, Father, that we pray these things. Amen.